so uh, Matthew chapter 26, uh, beginning at verse 57, it's now to the reading of God's holy word. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But alas, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered and said, He is deserving of death. And they spat in his face and beat him. And others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard. And a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely... You are also one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. O Lord God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks to you for the truth of your word, that it is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And as we come to this particular passage this morning, we pray that your spirit would give us understanding and insight to see the truth that is here. And that as your word goes forth in the power of the spirit, we do pray that it would find within our hearts that rich, fertile soil that would truly bring about great and abundant fruit for Your glory. Lord, we ask for Your blessing now upon Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pride. Pride is one of the greatest sins that we have to deal with. Pride and its offspring of selfishness and 
self-centeredness and self-exaltation are often found at the root of a whole host of other sins. And of course what makes it tricky is that we can be so focused on looking for external temptations and snares to avoid things that are out there in the world that we neglect to be on guard against our own pride and the idol factory that is our own sinful heart. Truly one of the reasons that Jesus urged His disciples so often to seek after humility and self-sacrifice and self-denial and, and seeking to serve others is because of our natural sinful predisposition to pride. Pride must be constantly put off and put to death in our lives so that we can put on Christ and all that He has called us to do. And several weeks ago, we, we considered pride in connection with, uh, with Jesus' prophetic warning to the disciples. First, that, that they would all scatter from Him when He was arrested, and then also particularly to, to Peter when He predicted that Peter would deny Him three times. And it's true that though all the disciples asserted their pride and their self-assurance at the time, we remember that Peter was especially vocal. That even though the others may all abandon Jesus, that he wouldn't ever, never would he abandon Jesus. Not even if it meant that he had to die. He would never abandon him, let alone deny him. Well, Jesus warned him. He cautioned Peter and rebuked him. He urged Peter to be careful. But Peter simply dug his heels in. And as he did so, he opened the door for his pride to lead him into a grievous sin. In our passage this morning, this time, or the time for that pride to ripen has now come. As Peter denies Jesus three times, just as Jesus had warned And from this failure, we hope to learn not only the dangers that pride presents leading us into sin and temptation, but also the great hope and the promise that we have. The promise that we have in the salvation that our Lord Jesus Christ secured for us. That even though we may sin against Him, that His grace and His mercy abounds to the humbled sinner who confesses his sin and seeks the forgiveness that the Lord has promised. But first, we have to go back a bit to verse 58. After Jesus rebuked Peter for his burst of violence against the servant of the high priest, all the disciples scattered, even as Jesus foretold, telling the, uh, uh, recalling the prophet Zechariah, uh, saying that when the, she- the shepherd was struck, that all the sheep of the flock would be scattered. And that's exactly what happened. But we see in verse 58, some of the sheep didn't go very far. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. But I want you to notice here how Peter is still either bold and brash 
or he's just plain foolish. Now it's true that his desire to follow is likely born out of his love and his devotion to Jesus. Right? He wanted to see what happened. Perhaps this was even spurred on by a bit of sorrow uh, for having deserted Jesus initially. Especially when he had protested so vehemently that he would never desert him. And so Peter wants to be as close as he can to Jesus. And surely that's a good thing. But we remember, as we think about Peter and the picture that we're given of him in the Gospels, that often his impulsive and foolish statements and actions in the past, that they also were born out of his great love and devotion to Jesus. Now certainly no one can accuse Peter of of not being zealous in his devotion to the Lord. Surely he was. But even zeal, even zeal for a good thing, can be misguided when it doesn't take heed to the commandments of God. And this is where Peter failed miserably again. Consider that Jesus had just told Peter that Peter was going to betray him three times. But Peter insisted that's not going to happen. And then it came, of course came that little test when Jesus had left Peter, James, and John to go off to pray in the garden, Jesus instructed them to keep watch while He prayed in verse 38. But they all fell asleep. And then when Jesus confronted Peter with this, of course, Peter was, he had no defense. He could say nothing. And so Jesus warned Peter. And He warned the others. In verse 41, he said, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus gives them that charge, and what do they do? They fall asleep again. Jesus told Peter, exactly what he needed to do in order to avoid temptation, but Peter paid no heed. Not in the garden, and not even now, as he follows Jesus at a distance. I see Peter is here toying with, with danger. If he truly wanted to avoid the denial that Jesus said was going to happen... Well, he should have taken Jesus' word to heart and and made himself scarce. He could have gone off to pray and, and seek the Lord's grace and protection against temptation. But no, Peter walks right into the fiery pit of temptation as he enters into the courtyard of the high priest surrounded by the servants of the high priest. Instead of trying to avoid any scenario where he may be tempted to deny Jesus, Peter dives right in. Didn't he think about the possibility that some of these same servants that he's now sitting with were also there in the garden when they came to arrest Jesus? Did he think that no one would notice that he was the one who who took the sword and assaulted another servant of the high priest, Malchus? Surely all these events 
that happened earlier that evening with the discussion of the night among the other servants. So what was Peter thinking? Well, obviously he wasn't thinking. He was foolishly surrounding himself with temptation, even putting God and the words of Jesus to the test, perhaps even thinking to himself, I can do this. I'm strong enough. I just need to just lay low and and not draw attention to myself. I'm not going to cause a scene. I'm going to blend in. I'm going to show him how wrong he was about me. I will not deny him. Peter wasn't guarding his heart and his pride was now leading him into temptation. Besides, what did he hope to accomplish by being there? Right, Jesus had already rebuked him for responding with violence. What could Peter possibly do? Nothing. There was no good reason for Peter to be there. But there he was. And as verse 58 reveals, he was there to see the end. Peter was just curious. He was curious to see what would happen to Jesus and how things would transpire. But in this case, Peter's curiosity will get the best of him as it often does. Now, beloved of God, there's a very practical lesson and warning here for us. It's great to be zealous for the Lord. Indeed, we all could likely do with a little more zeal about the things of God in our lives. But we must be careful that our zeal isn't misguided, running rampant without guidance and direction. We ought to be zealous, but we mustn't ignore the very clear warnings and the admonishments the Lord gives us in His Word as we pursue Him with that great zeal. The Lord has given us His Word to instruct and to guide us in all things. He's given us His commandments, warnings, and words of caution for our own good and safety. Indeed, He knows what our weaknesses are and what will tempt us even better than we know ourselves. Our zeal, love, and devotion must be tempered by the Word of God as we take heed to and obey His warnings. But how often, how often are we like Peter, throwing caution to the wind and puffing ourselves with pride, thinking that we're better than we are, that we're stronger in faith than we are. Now we can foolishly put ourselves to the test by walking right up to sin and temptation and staring it down. This happens even with those particular habitual sins that we may struggle with. And that's exactly why they're habitual, because their victory over us tends to be uh, more frequent than our victory over them. And so the struggle is ongoing. But we often foolishly walk into those situations. We foolishly think we're stronger than we are, and we burst right into those situations where we're surrounded by temptation. You know, if you struggle with drunkenness or 
a recovering alcoholic. It's not wise to hang out in a bar. Where someone who struggles with lust, it's not wise for you to uh, to view uh, movies that are you know might have. Uh, uh, nudity in it, or read materials, or go to certain uh, places on the internet. It's not wise to put yourselves in a situation where you're alone with someone of the opposite sex who's not your wife. Someone who struggles with gluttony. It's not wise for them. To meet somebody for lunch at an all-you-can-eat buffet. Well, these and many other situations, and that's just a, a few. There are many, many others that you can certainly think of, and you can think of even of the sins that you struggle with. They can be dangerous. That if your flesh is inclined to a particular sin that's prevalent in in a particular environment, well, then just stay away. Stay away from that environment. Don't put yourself to the test. Don't let your curiosity and your pride lead you into temptation and sin. You may win one battle the first time. But maybe not this next time. And so avoid those situations. Instead, heed the words of Jesus, which Peter ignored. Watch and pray. Be on the lookout at all times. Again, not just on your surroundings, but especially with the thoughts and the imaginations of your heart. Always measuring them to the standard of God's word for humility, truth, and holiness. Friends, don't put yourself in danger. But this is exactly what Peter has done. As Peter is quietly sitting with the other servants trying to blend in, a servant girl approached him and and likely stunned him with her words in verse 69. You also were with Jesus of Galilee. Peter's been exposed. Now what's interesting here is that the girl was well aware of who Jesus was and and it's very likely that she saw him teaching and preaching in the temple courtyards. And she wouldn't have been uh, at the rest in the garden, but there was something about Peter that she recognized. Which again likely indicates that she didn't merely pass by while Jesus was teaching, but she possibly hung around for a while to listen to what he was saying. And as she did this though, she was there long enough to look over the, the close disciples that were seated around him. And so she recognized Peter. Now ironically, the girl's charge to Peter is actually something that's really at the, the core of discipleship. She said, you also were with Jesus. This was the whole reason right, that Jesus appointed the twelve, and we see this in Mark 3, verse 14, that they might be with Him, and that He might send them out to preach. To be with Jesus was the essence of being His disciple. 
In fact, later, after Peter healed, Peter and John healed the paralytic in, in Acts 4.13, the religious leaders say they perceive that they were uneducated. Speaking of Peter and John, they perceive that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. You see, there was something about Peter and John that gave evidence that they had been with Jesus. It's a clear identification. And so as we look to follow Jesus as his disciples today, we should be known as those who are with Jesus. Who walk and who live and who talk in his ways. And this servant girl got it right. Peter was with Jesus. But in verse 70, he denied it before them all saying... I do not know what you're saying. See, he forcefully claims not to know Jesus and claims even just a general ignorance about what she's even talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. I, Jesus who? I don't know anything about him. Or uh, Galilee? What? I don't know any of these places or people. It's interesting here, though, that, that Matthew could have just recorded Peter said or Peter responded to her. But no, he particularly emphasizes that Peter denied it before them all. And so this was Peter's first denial. Of course, Peter, of course he would know something about Jesus and about where he was from. Everybody knew. It was the, the talk of everywhere he went. People were talking about Jesus. And even if he hadn't known before, well, he's been standing around with these servants listening to their conversation and the, the, maybe the gossip of the, of the evening, and certainly they would have been talking about all the events that had happened just a few hours before. So at least he would have known that. But no, Peter holds firm to his ignorance as if he had been hiding under a rock somewhere for the past several hours. Now it's true that Peter is likely... On edge, and again, so was very surprised by this girl's comment and caught off guard. It it all happened so quickly that it may never have even uh, registered with him what he just did. But it certainly ruffled him enough to get him to get up and move to a different part of the garden. He moved over by the gate, but he wasn't going to get away that easily. Verse seventy one tells us another girl saw him. But this time, instead of speaking directly to Peter, she says to those nearby, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. Now, it's possible that this is the same serving girl on another occasion, as some accounts have it. But either way, Peter is again identified. And this time, the identification is with a certain definiteness. She knows for sure that he is a disciple of Jesus, and like a guilty conscience, she really kind of provokes him and provokes this charge, piercing him a little bit deeper. And indeed, this is how the Spirit often works with our conscience when we're caught in sin. Right? We may try to run and hide. Or it's, it's, we're confronted about it, but then we, we want to run and hide. We go to some other place and hope no one's going to say anything about it. We try to cover it over. We try to ignore it. 
But the Holy Spirit pokes and prods our conscience in order to bring about conviction and a godly sorrow for our sins so that we might confess it and be brought to repentance. But this doesn't always follow as quickly as it should because of our pride and stubbornness. Right? Sometimes it takes a little more poking or maybe a lot more poking and prodding making us uncomfortable even as we see here with Peter. As he once again denies Jesus and this time with greater severity in verse 72. But again he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. Now the swearing of an oath is a solemn thing and it ought not to be done rashly. Because what it does is when you swear an oath, you call God Himself as a witness to be the arbiter of truth that what is being spoken is true. Now if it indeed it is true, it's like when you go to, to court and you put your hand on the Bible and I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Well, you put your hand on the Bible because it's God is bearing witness about whether you're speaking the truth or not. I don't know if they even still do that today, but it's the way it used to be done. Because there was an acknowledgement that God is the arbiter of truth. The ultimate arbiter of truth. Now, if you, what, what you said, if you swear an oath, and if what you said is indeed true, well then, then you're justified before God on, on that particular account. But, if what's sworn... If what you say under oath is a lie, well, then it calls down God's wrath and curse. And Peter foolishly swears an oath and denies that he even knows Jesus. In fact, he even distanced himself as far as possible from Jesus, saying, I do not know the man. I don't know who you're talking about. Peter has perjured himself. Denying any connection to Jesus. The the one who called him to be a disciple. The one who healed his mother-in-law. The one who loved Peter and gave him great responsibility and privilege even above many of the other disciples. Peter denies it all. He denies it all not only before the servant girl, but publicly before a crowd of people. He's denied knowing Jesus and being with Him which then endangers himself to being denied by Jesus before the Father on the last great day. And of course, endangering himself to God's just and holy wrath and curse. This second denial, in many ways, reflects a hardening of the heart. Not only for Peter, but really for anyone who's involved in sin and and doesn't listen to the prodding of the Holy Spirit through their conscience. It's a hardening of the heart that could potentially have very grave consequences. And this is where Peter's at. As he still doesn't seem to make the connection to Jesus' words of warning And so it only gets worse. Some time passes and and Peter's given a bit of reprieve from questioning. But the seeds of doubt and suspicion have been sown by this servant girl 
hasn't left the minds of those gathered there in the courtyard. She's roused their interest and curiosity and eventually they come around and they come to Peter again and they charge him and this time they have certain proof. In verse uh, 73, they say, Surely you also are one of them. For your speech betrays you. Peter's own speech betrayed him. The Galileans apparently had a distinct accent which clearly gives Peter away. And even if he wasn't one of Jesus' disciples, certainly he knew who Jesus was since he was Galilean, and everybody in Galilee knew who Jesus was. So they knew he was lying. They didn't believe his denials, even those that were sworn by an oath. Imagine the destruction to Peter's witness in all this. Obviously, Peter would have to now come clean with the evidence that has been so clearly laid before him. But so hardened is Peter's heart at this point that he just explodes. He explodes and was surely a loud, angry outburst in verse 74. He began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man! Now his cursing and swearing reveal a heart that's inflamed with rage and anger and of course great pride. Now if we think about cursing and swearing in, the, in our 21st century understanding, well certainly that would be bad enough, right? Using profane language to denounce his relationship with his Lord and, and perhaps that's maybe what he did. But to curse and swear in Peter's time was actually much worse than that. See, there's no object here in the Greek for cursing. And so Peter was actually cursing himself. That is, he was pronouncing and declaring that if he is lying by saying that he isn't a disciple of Jesus, then he's calling down a curse upon his own head. The word is anathema. Right? It's to invoke divine harm and, and condemnation if what is said isn't true. And basically, he's saying, may God destroy me if I'm lying to you. Not only that, but again, he does this under oath calling God as a witness against him. The same God whose son Peter has just denied. John Calvin comments on the severity of this action, saying, it's as if Peter said, may I perish miserably if I have anything in common with the salvation of God. Peter has become so hardened in his sin that he's sworn an oath and called down curses upon himself, implying that God will carry this out all the time while he is indeed lying knowingly and doing so by denying the one who is the Christ, the Son of the living God, as he had previously confessed. See, Peter doesn't run to the truth. 
seeking repentance, but he runs away from it and he drives himself deeper and deeper into sin. A sin that he may have avoided if he had simply stayed away and heeded the warning that Jesus gave him to watch and pray. It's the vicious downward spiral of sin that can engulf us all if, if we're not careful. And here it has consumed Peter. And so the chief of the disciples, the proud and boastful Peter has fallen. And he's, he's fallen hard, not once, not twice, but three times he has denied his Lord. Instead of being a true disciple and adhering to the words of Jesus in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Instead of denying himself, Peter's pride has taken root and led him into temptation and sin by denying Jesus. And of course, bringing upon himself the judgment that Jesus warned would come in Matthew 10. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, this is not a good place to be. You do not want to be denied in the presence of the Father. You do not want to be denied by Jesus on that last great day. It's not a good place, not for Peter, not for you, not for me, not for anyone. But this is where Peter has fallen. Is this how it ends? Well, let's hope not. And indeed it isn't, as we know, the saga continues. But, beloved of God, as we consider these last few points, I want each of you to remember that if you're caught in sin, even now, even the heart-hardening downward spiral of sin that consumed Peter, I want you to remember the same hope that's given to Peter is promised to you as well. And it begins with the conviction of the Holy Spirit, a conviction triggered for Peter by what we see at the end of verse 74. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Immediately. Like Pavlov's dogs who salivated at the ringing of a bell. At the very moment the rooster crowed, Peter realized what he had done. And the Spirit's conviction pierced his very soul. Verse 75, Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter remembered the prediction of Jesus. He remembered the warning. He remembered his own foolish boasting. He remembered his pride and his foolish diving headlong into temptation. He remembered it all. And it seared his hard heart, pierced him, and humbled him. This conviction of the Spirit and the remembrance of Jesus' warning brings Peter to repentance. Now it's true, we don't find the word repentance here in this passage or really in any of the parallels, but clearly Peter's response demonstrates the sorrow of his heart as he went out and he wept bitterly. This bitter weeping reveals a broken and a contrite heart which is well-pleasing in God's sight. 
conviction of sin led to godly sorrow. And godly sorrow led to repentance. And repentance, true and sincere, heartfelt repentance, we know leads to the forgiveness and mercy of God. And once forgiveness and mercy has been granted, it then leads to restoration and peace with God. Matthew doesn't tell us about the forgiveness and restoration of Peter. We find clues in the other gospel accounts. Mark vaguely alludes to it in Mark 16:7, when uh, after the resurrection uh, on that uh, first um, resurrection day, when the angels tell Mary at the tomb, they say, "Go tell his disciples and Peter." Right? Peter is specifically uh, listed out. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he said to you. The implication being that Jesus has received Peter's repentance and has forgiven him and he will be eager to meet with him in Galilee without condemnation. But it's the Gospel of John which gives us the fullest account of Peter's restoration. In John 21, beginning at verse 15, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death He would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Three denials. And three times Jesus asked this probing question, Do you love me? The connection is is unmistakable. In fact, Peter's restoration is confirmed even as Jesus assures him that even his own death, even Peter's own death, will glorify God. And so then Peter should turn away from following his prideful heart, but should now follow him and be a true disciple. Though Peter had swelled with great pride and he fell into sin, there Jesus was gracious abounding in grace and mercy to forgive him and to restore him. That is the hope and the promise that is for us as well. Brothers and sisters, what further lessons can we glean from this account? Well, first we should be challenged that there's no place for pride in the disciple of Jesus Christ. He has called you to deny yourself, to take up your cross daily and to follow Him. 
You're not to live for yourselves. You're not to serve yourselves. You're not to seek honor for yourselves. But you're called to deny yourself and confess His name. We learn also that we must remain watchful and alert. And alert, praying always that the Lord would watch over us and lead us not into temptation. We must be alert to the snares and the entanglements that are all around us and seeing that we stay away from those situations and environments where we know we will be tempted. But especially we must also be alert and watchful of our own sinful hearts and desires. And so we should watch and pray. We should also be alert to the great danger of denying Jesus our Savior before men. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you that, that there may be a time, and it may be soon, and we see it happening in different places around the world, even close to us, where the people of God will be hard-pressed or be persecuted because of our faith in Christ. And the pressure, the pressure upon us at that time will be great. The pressure will be great to deny our Savior, to deny that we know that man. But remember the cost. Remember the cost of doing so will have great eternal consequences. You may be able to spare your life in the here and now. But what will, how will it impact you in eternity? And so again, we must watch and pray. Finally, beloved of God, we should also remember. We should remember that, that our precious Savior, He knows our weaknesses. Just as He knew Peter's. And so when, when you fail at those opportunities or when you fall into any sin, Don't harden yourself. And don't go down that spiral falling deeper and deeper into sin. Spurning the conviction of the Spirit. But allow that conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart to speak. To lead you to repent of your sin. And to call upon the name of the Lord for forgiveness. And know that He will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. And He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Beloved of God, praise be to the God for the mercy, the forgiveness, and the restoration that we have available to us in Christ Jesus our Lord, all to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God in heaven, we praise you and thank you for this reminder and this warning, this warning against pride and, and how it can lead us into sin and temptation. We do pray, Lord, that You would help us to watch and pray. To not rely upon our own strength, but to always rest in Your all-sufficient grace. And that You would lead us not into temptation. But when that temptation comes, we pray that You would give us the grace and the strength to resist. And that certainly we wouldn't foolishly dive in into those environments that will be especially tempting for us. That we would truly be wise and avoid those things so that we do not sin against you. 
But Lord, we know that we will sin. Each and every day we sin, we fall short of your glory. We fall far from your standard of perfection. And it's then that we're thankful and we rejoice and give thanks that not only you're a holy and righteous and just God, but you're a God who abounds with grace and mercy and kindness and love and compassion. And that your forgiveness is is great because the sacrifice of your Son on the cross was great. That He gave Himself for for our sins, for those sins, and paid the penalty for us so that we may walk in newness of life. And even now, Lord, we pray that Your Spirit would be working in our own hearts, convicting of us our sin, bringing us to that time of confession and repentance so that we might seek Your grace and Your mercy forgiveness, that You'd wash us and cleanse us as You promise us, that You will do, that You make us right and holy in Your sight that you would help us and equip us to be faithful witnesses for your glory as we go throughout this world. We pray, Father, that you would draw us all closer to yourself. And we pray that through all these things, your name would be lifted up and glorified. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.